He was the one that ministered to the presence of the Lord. And we know that when iniquity was found in Satan's heart, it was that he wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be lifted up. And it says that he was a merchandiser, one that was receiving what was not his. So it's like he's, he's leading the worship, but he's receiving in his heart the worship for himself. And God said, no, you won't. You'll be brought down to Sheol. And we talked about how when God made us, he made us for worship. We are created with all the instruments, wind, string, percussion. And I just wonder if when, when man was created and it was announced that this was going to be his new worship leader, that Satan said, I'm going to do whatever I can to get that to worship me. And as it says in Ephesians 6, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of darkness. So there's this war waging, and it's all about who is going to be worshipped. And we even saw in Revelations that eventually there's going to be this point where, where Satan, through the, through the beast, the, the Antichrist, is going to have the whole world saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? That's the song of Moses. It's who is like our God and who is able to wage war against him? And there will be the Lamb of God will come and he will do away with Satan. And in, in Revelations 5, it says that God is making for himself out of every tribe and every nation a kingdom of priests that would minister to our God. We were made for worship. The Bible even says in John 4, 24, that Jesus said, God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, the first part of that, God is spirit, you cannot be a worshiper of God if you do not have a spirit that is alive. See, the consequence of Adam and Eve in the garden was when they ate of the fruit, and sin into the world. See, see, the sin wasn't the fruit. See, a lot of times we think sin is just, well, right and wrong. But sin is that attitude that's in each one of our hearts. We're actually all born with this. That we don't care what anybody else says, we're going to do it our way. As, as I, I know God, but this is what I want. See, I want you to think about in the story in Genesis 3. Is that when Satan came to Eve... And he offered her another claim different than God, which if God is truth and everything that comes from the mouth of God is truth, then that means anything that is in opposition to what God says is what? A lie. But when Eve heard this, think about this. There's no sin in the world. Had Eve ever heard a lie before? No. She'd never heard a lie before. It's kind of like when you talk to a little child and you deceive them and you tell them a lie, what are they going to do? They're going to believe it. Well, guess what? Eve and Adam, when they were in the garden, there was no pride. There was no sin. We know Satan's heart. He wanted to be like the Most High God. And he says to Eve, if you eat of this, you'll be just like God. Lying to her because she already was just like God. She was creating his image. Well, Eve was not like, for those of you that saw the movie Aladdin, not like Jafar that wanted to be an all-powerful sultan. She, he was, she was not power hungry. She hears she'll be just like God. She loves God. He's been a perfect father. What does every little child want to be like? The ones they love. They want to be like mommy and daddy. See, I believe with all my heart that Adam and Eve, or at least Eve especially, she had good intentions. She, she, I mean, she wasn't eating this out of an evil desire. But I can tell you this, there have been many times in my life 
where I had good intentions, but I didn't do what was right. I still got in trouble. See, Genesis 3, 6 says that when Eve saw that it was good for eating and pleasing to the eye and it was going to gain something, she took and ate. And so this is what was going on. It was like, I know what God says, but this is what I think. And so I'm going to do what I think. I'm going to do my way. And that is where sin came into the world. And the consequence was death. And, and they were opposed to God. See, listen, we, I even talked about this, is we have a satanic nature. We are born that way. We are opposed to God. The Bible says we are objects of wrath. We are enemies of God. We cannot be worshipers of God because we're not going God's way. We're worshiping, doing what we want. Ephesians 2 says it this way, that we are dead in our transgressions. That's our condition. We have a dead spirit. But because of the great riches of Jesus Christ, through what he did on the cross, through him, it is not by works. It is a gift. It is totally by grace. Our spirit can be made alive. And if we surrender our life to him, the Bible even says that our spirit is then even seen seated in the heavenlies. And because God is spirit, you can only worship him in spirit. You have to have a spirit that is alive. So that's the first part. And you have to be able to worship in truth and authenticity. And what I want to talk about today is there is a right way to worship. How many of you guys have ever heard the cliche that words are cheap? You guys ever heard that? Words are cheap? Yeah. Because it's not enough just to say something. It, you need to be able to show action behind it. It's kind of like, you know, show me the love. You got to show it to me. We're all from Missouri. If you're new to Missouri, this is the show me state. Okay? And so I want you to know something. With Jesus or with the Lord, words are never cheap. Words are never cheap. In fact, with the Lord, everything is always extravagant. So extravagant that it says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love in this, that even though we're sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Are God's words cheap? No. And here's another cliche. Actions speak louder than words. See, it's not just lip service. And, and let me explain it this way. It's kind of like, you know, I think when we just come in here and we, we, the, the words pop up on the screen and we sing these songs, it's kind of like going to Deerberg's, going into the card section, pulling out the cards, reading them, finding the catchiest one with the catchiest words, the one that we go, oh, I like this one. This one's good. We take the card we sign our name on the bottom, and we give it, and we go, I've just blessed this person. Okay? Not our words. We've just tagged our name on the bottom of them, and we think that's all I need to do to express love. And that's not how it works. In fact, I just want you to see this in, in Isaiah chapter um, 1. Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 11. It says, this is God uh, speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. He says, 
What makes you think I want all of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from your, the blood of bulls and the lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, you asked to, you, you, who asked you to pray through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings, they disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. See, what he's saying is, listen, I don't want all this stuff. I don't want your religious, pious meetings. You're coming together where you just prayed around and you do the church thing. I, when you pray and you offer up sacrifices, I'm just going to close my ears. I'm, I'm covering my ears. I don't want to listen to it because it's grotesque to me. He says, get yourself clean. That's where it says in Psalms 24, who can, who can ascend the holy hill of God? Who can even enter into his presence? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who is not offering up himself or his soul to anything that is false. Listen, it's not just lip service. It's not just coming in and singing some songs and thinking that you've done something for God. I don't want your sacrifices because to me, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, what I want to do today is I want to correlate love with worship. You know, I've been saying we were, we were created for worship. We were made for worship. But, you know, we're also made for love. You know, how, how many of you husbands have said to your wife, Hey, baby, I was made for love. So, I think I maybe have said that once or twice. But you know, God is love. Do you know that's one of the things that makes us different than anything else is that we were made for love, for relationships, to experience intimacy, to know intimacy, to be known and to be known. In fact, I just want you to just write down your notes, just a simple definition is worship is love expressed. And on, our, on your bulletin, if you haven't noticed this, the theme for this year is doing it God's way. And so just write this down. Worship is love expressed God's way. See, you know that you can communicate worship in the same way as you can communicate love, and you might think you're communi communicating love, and it's not doing what you're wanting it to do. And, and uh, you know, I was talking about that love is communicated by trusting and obeying. You know, he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And I, I want you to think of this, parents, is how do your children communicate to you most effectively that they love you? How, how is it? And I know how it is that the speaker speaks and they're asking you a question and they're wanting you to say exactly what they're thinking. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. And then, of course, as I say this, you're going to go, yep, you're right. My children, they express to me their love for me best when they trust me at my word and obey. 
See, they can tell me they love me all they want, but it's when I'm telling them to do something that I see how much they trust me and, and, and obey me. Um, you know, it's, it's like when I was growing up, um, there were four words that, that I could not stand to hear my parents say. And it was like we were talking, and I think somehow I associated it with like just them being in authority of me, of them trying to close the issue. We'd be talking about something, and I would ask why, and they, this would be their response. I, and I don't know if they made it up. Maybe you've heard this said before, or if you use this, but the four words were, because I said so. And I hated those words. It was like, that didn't mean anything to me. It meant you were done arguing. That's what it meant to me. And, and, and I am learning that, listen, in maturity, those are the four most profound words. And I'm going to explain it. And, and students, I wish I would have understood this when I was your age. But if you'll hear this, I hope, hopefully it will change the way you think of these four words. It's like the other morning, I was in the shower and our, our youngest is two, his name is Champ, and he's in the shower with me, and uh, I am shampooing his hair. And I have kept it to where it will not get in his eyes, but it is now time to rinse out the shampoo, so I now know that I can no longer control where the shampoo is going to go. And so I go, Champ, close your eyes. Uh-uh. Champ, no, listen to Daddy. Close your eyes. Because if you don't close your eyes, this is really going to burn. And this morning, for some reason, he didn't want to close his eyes. And so I'm sitting here thinking, boy, you, you're about ready to get, get a whirlwind here in a second. And he went close his eyes, so here we go. So the shampoo goes down into his eyes, you know, bloody murder, screaming, his eyes are burning, you know. And it's because he wouldn't listen to daddy. And I just remember thinking, if he would just trust my words, if he would just understand that everything that I am saying to him, never am I giving him any kind of instruction because I'm going, I'm really wanting to mess with them right now. Every single time I speak something, it literally is that I, uh, it's for their good. Because I love them so much. And if they would just understand in that little situation or other situations that everything I'm saying to them, if they would understand my love for them, the reason why I'm saying it is because I love them so much. So see, really, when someone, a parent is saying, when you're communicating, because I said so, what you're saying is, because I said so should be enough because nobody in this world loves you more than I do. And because I say so, you know that Daddy loves you so much that if Daddy's saying it, it must be what is good. And because I know, Daddy, that you love me, and I am confident in your love, and I love you, I'm going to trust you at your word. See, the greatest way to communicate love is to trust and obey. It's not lip service. It's not just saying, well, I love, I love you, but I don't trust you at your word and I don't obey you. Love is communicated through obedience, right? 
It's expressed by our actions, by what we do. So I want you to think about that. When you hear the phrase, because I said so, based on whatever conflict you've ever had, is how you can handle that. When it's because I said so, it's saying because I say so, and there ain't anybody that loves you like I do. And it's the same with the Lord. It's, it's how do you show that you love? And it's saying it's to obey is better than sacrifice. Well, I want you to see that worship and love go hand in hand. And like I said, is we can try to actually do things and say we're expressing love and not, not actually be communicating love. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, read the book by Gary Chapman called uh, The Five Love Languages? How have you read that? And in your notes, it says Gary Smalley. It's actually Gary Chapman. Okay, I put that in there, and later on in the week, I actually decided to look up the book and make sure, and it was Gary Chapman, so that's my fault. But in it, in fact, whenever I do uh, marriage counseling uh, with uh, couples, one of the first things we talk about is in communicating how do you express love. And in this book, he says there are five uh, love languages. Uh, the first love language is uh, words of affirmation. The second one is quality time. The third one is uh, gifts, gift giving. Uh, the fourth one is uh, acts of service. And the fifth one is physical touch. And I just want you to think about those five. And for fun, if you are like a person that, you know, has it on your phone, you can actually, you know, fill out the survey to see what you do. But I just want you to think, if you have your bulletin, I want you to star the one that you believe that you receive love the most. What I mean by is this, is if you can imagine that you have a love tank, if you have a bucket, and what is it that fills your love tank the quickest? Is it acts of service? Is it words of affirmation? Is it physical touch? How is it that you receive love? Because most likely your spouse or the people in your family might not necessarily receive it the same way you do. And in, and in fact, just go ahead and look at the one. And what is the way that when you are trying to express love to someone, how is it that you express love? You know, like, see, I've got two women in my life. I've got, well, I've actually got four now with my daughters. But see, growing up, my mom, is my mom in here right now? She's not. Okay, so I'm going to speak for her, and I'm going to ask Dad if he agrees with me. My mom communicates love by acts of service and by gift giving. That's how she communicates love. So she gives a gift for every single event, and so she serves. If she, you've been around my parents, you know she's always preparing my dad's meals. The way my, all of us, my mom is a server. The way she communicates love is by expressing it by serving and by, um, by gifts. Now, she does it in the other areas too, but those are the two primary ways that she does it, okay? How, Dad, would you say that Mom, how she, how she receives love? Okay, so she likes a lot of touch. She likes words of affirmation, and she likes service. Really, technically, I think about women is they like all five, but there are, there are two. See, guys, uh, probably most guys, most guys in here, we are like dogs. All we need is words of affirmation and touch. A dog, you know, it's just like, you're such a good boy. Yes, you are. And all you need is just to pet, pet the dog, and we're good. That's all we need. We really don't, maybe we need a little quality time, but what's going to fill our love tank 
is words of affirmation and physical touch. But see, in a, in a married relationship, see, I really am not a needy person. I don't need quality time. So guess what? It is not natural for me to express love in quality time. And guess what just happens to be Shelly's main love language? Quality time. And by the way, guys, quality time is not sitting and watching a movie together. It's not doing something together. Quality time is defined as stopping everything that I'm doing, looking at Shelly, and listening to everything that Shelly has thought that day. And going, I hear you. I hear your heart. I agree with you. You are right. That is quality time. See, we can, we can even try to express. See, a guy can, can be communicated love. Like I'm like looking at like, okay, Walt. Okay, I bet you that Kelly could communicate love to Walt by buying him a bass boat. But guess what? Walt could not communicate love to Kelly by buying a bass boat. It would not do anything for her. All right? Now, the reason why I'm sharing all this with you is, remember, God's the one that wired us for love. He's the one that created us for worship. Worship is love expressed. Do you think these five love languages are the same five worship languages? And I'm going to show you that I believe they are. And we can be trying to communicate love. And, and yes, the first one is going to be words of affirmation, and that is going to be praise and adoration. But it's not just enough to do one. See, my wife actually, I can, yes, I'd say quality time is her main one, but does she like acts of service? Yes. She likes it when I clean the toilets, when I take out the trash. Does she like gifts? Yes. Starbucks and a packet of Dove's dark chocolate always wins. Okay, every single one, yes, she needs them, but I have to communicate love in all these areas. It's not just one. And what I want you to see is there are five worship languages, okay? And so that's what we're going to do with our remaining time, okay? Number one is words of affirmation is praise and adoration. Okay, praise and adoration. I've got to really fly, all right? Here we go. Psalms 95, verse 1 through 6 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. See, the Bible is saying, as God created everything, and we are called to worship him. All things are his. We are his. So come into his presence and worship and sing praises. You know, the Bible even says is if we don't do it, what's going to happen? The rocks are going to cry out. In fact, praise and adoration is one way that we get to worship and express our love to God. In fact, do you know in the Hebrew, there are 11 words for praise. And they're very descriptive words. They all have these different ideas. Usually you'll just see thanksgiving or praise because they have to do with singing praises or a thankful heart. 
And probably one of the, the, the most well-known verses on worship and praise is Psalms 100, verse 4, that says, uh, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him, and praise his name. But I want to show you just in this verse how colorful the Hebrew is as far as expressing our worship and praise. All right? Because in this verse alone, there are four words for praise. Uh, the first one is Todah. The second one is Tehillah. The third one is Yadah. And the fourth one is Barak. Okay? And when you read it, this is how it literally is translated in the Hebrew. Enter his gates with a thanksgiving choir. Go into his courts with singing praises. See, it's not just enough to say them. There's such a, a, a song that rings in my heart. It's like, you know, Buddy the Elf, you know. I'm singing because I'm happy, and I don't care who knows it because he's in love. Okay, there's a song, okay? We enter his courts by singing praises. And then, yada means to give thanks by lifting our hands. See, love is expressed. God creates his very express, expressive people. In fact, one of the ways that I think the enemy has so robbed us is, is we think that we are to celebrate everything else except for God. And you know, the Bible even says that we're to lift up holy hands. Here it's saying when you come into his courts, you're to come in by lifting hands. And some of us, that is just something that is very uncomfortable. We weren't raised that way. But you know what? When you go to a Cardinals game and they hit a home run, do you know what everybody does when they jump out of their, their seat? They all jump out and they raise their hands like, yeah. And you never see this at, a, at the crowd. What would it look like if everybody at Bush Stadium jumped out of their seats and just went? You see that? That was awesome. They don't do that. And they also don't do this, okay? Okay, I don't mean to offend anybody but they don't come out of their, their stands and go like this. They don't do that. This says to lift holy hands. See, it's, it's expressive. And then it goes on, the word for Barak is to kneel, to bless him by kneeling before his name. See, this, this verse says, enter his gates with a thanksgiving choir. Go into his courts with singing praises. Give thanks by extending your hands to him and bless him by bowing before his name. You know, there's another Hebrew word. It's the word halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah. And you know what that means? To be so thankful that you look foolish when you do it. It's, it's where David is dancing before the Ark of the Covenant as coming into the city. Michael is looking from the window, his wife judging him. And it says that he's dancing around before the throne of God, before the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. And he comes in and his wife goes, you are the king of Israel. You look like an idiot. You're making a fool out of yourself and all of your family, basically. And he says, I will be more undignified than this before my God. Doesn't it seem kind of funny? Because you know the word hallel is where we get the word hallelujah. And if it means to be foolish, doesn't it seem weird to be like, hallelujah, hallelujah. It doesn't make sense. It's like Eeyore. It's like no expression. Okay? And, and what I'm trying to say to you is that we express in every other area of our life, why don't we express in worship? You know, well, that's not the type of family I came from. 
We didn't say I love you. We didn't express ourselves. We didn't hug. We didn't do these things that you hunters do. Listen, if you're, if you're, if you've given your life to Christ, guess what? You're in a new family. And God's a very expressive God. And when we get to heaven, you're going to have no problem doing that. So worship is love expressed. We're to express it. I'm not saying we all need to be Hillel after this and pull up, bring in our tambourines and go crazy. I'm just saying, don't be afraid to express your worship. Okay? I got to keep going. We're going to have baptisms. Okay? Uh, Number two, quality time. That's the second love language, and that's prayer, soaking in the Word of God. Okay, like I said with with Shelly, it's spending time with her, hearing her heart. This right here is God's heart. This is everything he wants us to know. Prayer is talking and listening. See, no one likes conversation that is one-sided, where you you just talk and then you go, see ya. No, prayer is talking and listening. And God's word is where he usually speaks, but he also speaks through his Holy Spirit. And then, of course, it's private worship, coming before him. And I'm talking about David earlier. This is why I believe he was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect, but because he desired quality time with the Lord. He was a worshiper. He spent time in God's word. He was always singing praises. He was always worshiping. And there are many times when you read in the Psalms where he was in sin or he was struggling or he was being defeated by his enemies. He's like, God, where are you at? Have you left me? Why are my enemies prospering? But then he goes on to say things like, Lord, but then I went into your sanctuary and you gave me rest. Whom, and I, whom do I have in heaven besides you? Or who on earth? Because you are my strength and my portion forever. See, David was a man after God's heart because he desired God's heart. And he spent quality time with the Lord. And listen to what the Bible says about those type of people. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Psalms 33.18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on whose hope is in his steadfast love. God's eyes are on those that desire him, that are living for him, that desire quality time with him, because this is the way we express our love. It's not just a a 30-minute thing on Sunday morning. It's in, it's in our week. It's in the things that we do. It's in our, the time we want to spend with him. Okay, number three, receiving gifts. Okay, receiving gifts is I can't do any series, of course, without mentioning, you know, offerings and tithes. So receiving gifts are offerings and tithes. Take your Bible real quick and just flip to Proverbs chapter 3. Open up to Proverbs chapter 3 because I was thinking about uh, reading uh, just Proverbs 3 verse 9 that talks about honoring the Lord with our wealth and with our first fruits. But you know, the whole chapter of Proverbs 3 is about trusting the Lord. And most of us, we memorize that sometime in our life, Proverbs 3, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Well, that's a part of this right here, but I want you to see the promise of trusting God. Remember I said love is trusting. Obedience is when I trust God because I said so. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For if you do that, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. There is blessing and blessing in trusting God. Because, see, there's this love relationship and understanding that when God says something, I do it because he says so. And I show my love by trusting him in every area of my life. I don't know who originally said this line, but I grew up hearing my dad say this to us. Okay? And it is this. You can give and not love. But it is impossible to love and not give. See, I can give and really not have love in my heart. Maybe it's for my own pat on the back or to make me feel good. See, I have the ability to give so I look good in a situation. I have that ability. But you cannot love and not give. You know that as a parent. Because you love your children so much, even if you can at times, your heart wants to give because you love. See, God could not help but give because for God so loved the world that he gave. How in the world can I say I love God, but yet I can't give? It doesn't make sense. It's lip service. It's like, I don't, it's not love. See, you cannot love and not give. God wired us that way. You can't, there, there, you can't argue against it because you know it in your own life. That's where Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. See, if your children are your treasure, your heart is there, so everything in your life goes there. If the Lord is my treasure, that's where my heart is. And then everything falls behind that. Whatever you love, that's what you'll give to. That's what you'll give your time to. That's what you'll give your energy to. That's what you'll give your resources to. And a love language, a worship language in Scripture is where I give my tithes and offerings. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, number four. Acts of service, I'm going to put down here as being his witness. And I'm going to show you why here in Isaiah. Okay, in Isaiah chapter one, uh, 6, we're going to read, and this is where King Uzziah has died. He's been the king for 52 years. Who knows what's going to happen next in the kingdom? Things are in turmoil. Is our next king going to be a good king? Is he going to be a bad king? Are we going to have to go to war? Are we going to be in peace? What's going to happen? Uh, and so in the midst of this, Isaiah gets to see a vision of the throne of God, and he experiences really true worship. And he sees the seraphs circling the throne of God. They're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when, when Isaiah sees it, he doesn't go, Oh, cool, that's really neat. This is his response. Okay? In verse 5, it says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, 
having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. So you know, real worship, true worship, there's a response to it. You know, the Bible says in in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. So you know, one of the biggest things about worship is in whatever we're going through is to be able to put our eyes on the Lord and not on our situation because when we get our eyes on him, our perspective changes. See, what happened here in the midst of everything that was going on in Isaiah's life is he saw God for who he really was. He got the right perspective of God, and once he got the right perspective of God, he got the right perspective of himself. And he goes, woe is me, I am ruined, I am undone. You are holy, I am not. You're in control, I am not. You are everything, I am nothing, I am ruined. And then the angel comes, ministers to him, touches him, purifies him, and what was his response in worship? Here I am, send me. Do whatever it is that you want to do with me. I am yours. That's the response of worship. Is to be his servant. To be his witness. To be whatever it is that he calls you to be. That's a part of worship. Okay? Uh, If you, I only got one point. If you are being baptized, this is where you need to go. All right? Okay, we got one more point. And that is this, physical touch. Well, how in the world do I physically touch an invisible God. How do I do that? Okay? By demonstrating his love to others. Okay? I physically touch God when I demonstrate love physically to others. Okay? I'm gonna, this is the passage from the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. It says in verse 32, Before him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You know, we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 1 where where God was saying, I I don't want your sacrifices. I I don't need the blood of bulls. I need your obedience. And he's talking about worship and closing his ears. And we read from Isaiah 1 verses 11 through 16. And he says, stop. He says, clean yourself. Stop doing evil. And this is his response in verse 17, the very next verse. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. 
See, there's this understanding in worship that worship and justice go hand in hand. It's not enough just to worship and come and have these meetings and not be salt and light in the world. See, God's design and plan was not for the government to be the aid. It was that his people would be the hands and feet of Jesus. So as Jesus was on this earth, it says that he had compassion when he would see the crowds. And so you know what he would do? He would go and he would touch people and he would heal people because he knew, another cliche, it doesn't matter how much people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that's why the Bible says this is what true religion is. Religion is taking care of orphans and widows. And so that means as his people, what should we be about? People. We should be all about people. We should be about, like we said last week as a priest, people that bless people. That's why it should be on our hearts, women that are going to Planned Parenthood, and we want to be there to show the love of Christ. That's why we should be about wanting to end sex trafficking or slavery in the world. That's why we should be about orphans and widows. We were talking about this last week in our small group, and, and um, is Jamie still in here? Or not Jamie, is Jamie's right there. Is Kimberly still in here, or did she leave? Okay, we were talking about this in our small group last week. Do you know that in the state of Missouri, there are 12,000 orphans, okay? Did you know that in the state of Missouri, there are 15,000 churches? That means if just each church, if just one person in every single church in Missouri were to come to the understanding of what God's heart is, if just one person in each church would do that, there would be no more orphans in the state of Missouri. And of course, I can touch that on any, any subject. I'm just using it as an analogy. Okay, worship and justice go hand in hand. That's God's heart. Romans 12, 2 says we are to offer our bodies, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 1, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And the way we communicate our love is in these areas. And I just ask, how, how do you do in these areas of communicating? You might go, well, I'm really good at words of affirmation. I sing praises. But do you do that privately? Do you spend quality time with the Lord? How, how do you do as far as giving gifts? How do you do as far as acts of service? How do you do as far as physical touch? Touching the heart of God by loving people. Or is life all about you? Let me close by just uh, giving you this little uh, quote by R.T. Kendall, uh, who pastored uh, Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. He said this, What we are individually, 24 hours a day, is more important than what happens in church once a week. The secret of acceptable worship lies in how we are at home or at work, and when we are alone and nobody knows what we are doing. It lies in our total lifestyle. That's what worship is all about. Would you bow your heads? And what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Because, see, I can teach, but it's the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What does it look like to be a worshiper? 
Are you expressing love the way God has ordained it? Which of these areas of, which of these languages of, of worshiping the Lord, is it a struggle to express love in? If I truly love the Lord, I can't help but to give my life to him in every area. Actions speak louder than words. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Lord, may our words not just be lip service. May there be action behind what we say. Father, we, we long to know you. We want to spend time with you. We want to know your word. We want to know your heart. Father, in our love, we give you our lives. We give you our time, our resources. We're here, and we say, send us. We want to minister to you and be a blessing to people. That we would demonstrate it in our words and our actions and all that we do. That people would know that we are disciples by the way we love. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. We love you so much. We can't wait to see you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to worship the Lord through the obedience of baptism. Thank you, honey. <laughs> Phil asked the question, what do you want to do? You know, this morning when we were rehearsing the music, Philip came in and he brought two of his children that are my grandchildren. And I wanted to do one thing. What I want to do? As soon as I left the piano and went down, they came running to me, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to hug them. See, that's what Phil was talking about. Just lifting your hands, because the Father's up there. Now, if the Father's out there, I'd lift there, but the reason why we lift holy hands, because the Father is up there. And if you've never done this before, I want you to know there's only one thing that will keep you from doing this. It's because you don't realize how much he loves you. And maybe you have sin in your life and you think, I can't do that. Let me tell you, the Father loves you just like you are. He loves you just like you are. And that's what he wants you to do when you're hurting or when you're sinful to say, oh, Father, I need you. So don't you want to do that right now as we enter this time of worshiping? Just lift your hands to the Father and say, Oh, Father, I need you. Oh, Father, I love you. Just tell him right now. Just tell him. Don't look at me. Look to the Father and tell him how much you love him, how much you need him. Tell him right now. Yeah, and lift both hands. Some of you are one-handers. I don't know where you got that, but not from the Bible. Lift your hands unto the Lord and tell him how you love him. Amen. Amen. And that's what these are doing that are being baptized. Look in your Bible in Romans 6. In Romans 6, it talks about our identification with the Lord in baptism. And it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That is, Christ died for our sin 
We have repented. We've died to that old attitude of rebellion. We were buried. That's what you do with dead people. Therefore, with him by baptism, Jesus was buried. As you see these people go under the water, they're saying, I'm buried. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You can never have a new life until you die of the old life. Say that with me. You can never have a new life until you die of the old life. That's why many who call themselves Christians don't have a new life. They haven't died of the old life. You cannot have both. One more time. You cannot have a new life till you die of the old life. And the old life is independence, rebellion. God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. Philip talked about that. Each of these persons, this is Lauren Cooley. She is saying to you, she has understood that Christ died for her. She's repented. She said, I die of that old way of being independent and rebellious to God. And today she is saying to you as she's buried in these waters, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah. And this is Lauren's sweet friend, Abby, that invited her to play soccer. And that's how just God worked. From soccer to living water, from living water to West County, from West County hearing the word of God. And praise the Lord, Lauren. We are so proud of you, honey. Who does your life belong to? Jesus. Jesus. Well, give me your hand. And Abby, Sugar, you can take Lauren's hand. You know how we get encouraged? We get encouraged by other brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So, Lauren, today as you stand before the Lord God, your parents, your family, your ch new church family, you're saying, it is no longer I who live. You identify today with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and it's with great joy that we baptize you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Nautica, and this is Hayden Fowl, and this is Daddy and Mommy, Jordan, and our children's pastor, if you've not met Miss Kimberly. And praise the Lord for these two precious children that have come to that holy conviction of sinfulness in their life. They've trusted Christ's death on the cross, and today they stand and say, we want you to know we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And Daddy and Mama are actually going to be the ones that are going to baptize. So just step forward here. Jordan, you come by me and hold this side. Now, Sugar, 
I want you to look up in Dad's face. Now look up Mama's face. God has given you parents to protect you. And if you heard what Philip was saying, I don't know if you were here or downstairs, but when they say, honey, do this because we say so, they're saying, we're accountable to God and we love you. And this will protect you and provide life for you. Okay? Obey. And 1 John 5, 3 says, adults, this is love for God, that we obey his word, and it is not burdensome because we know how God loves us. So, Sugar, I just love you. You know you're how your dad and mommy love you. And I just look forward to what God's going to continue to do in your life. You're saying today you belong to Jesus. It's no longer Hayden that lives. And so today, Hayden, as we baptize you, you're identifying with Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And you're professing God's ownership, and that's why we baptize you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. See you, Mama Okay. This is Nautica. And Nautica, you heard what I just said to Big Brother. I say it to you too, sweetie. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You belong to God. God's given you his love gift in Daddy and Mommy to just lead you and guide you in the paths of righteousness according to his word. You trust the Lord with all your heart. You trust Daddy and Mommy. Trust and obey, right? And today you're saying it is not you that live, but Christ that lives in you. This is for your whole life. Not just now, not just teenage, your whole life. And sugar, because you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it's with great joy that your daddy and mommy baptize you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, Swedish, I just wish all of you could have been in baptism affirmation because there's always miracles of God's grace that you just have no idea. And you're looking at trophies of God's grace you have no idea. I want you to know Jesus is enough to forgive every sin. And Jesus is enough in our life that we can forgive others of their sin toward us. And Jesus is enough to comfort every heart and to heal every heart. And Jesus is enough to take our lives because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And what you're looking at are two trophies of God's grace that if we had any clue, if, if we had any clue right now of the grace of God, we would be doing like Philip said, we would be jumping up going crazy right now. I mean, we would just be going crazy. Do you remember when Albert hit that home run against the Houston that night? I started screaming and yelling. I woke up all my neighbors. He did it. He did it. He did it. Do you remember? Even though we lost the next day, it didn't matter. He did it. He did it. And, and, and there's never been a game played when Houston and the Cardinals play that the commentators don't have to bring that up. I want you to know, when you look at these guys, listen, he did it. He did it. Jesus did it in their life. And they're standing here today. This is Bob and Kara Bishop, and they're standing here saying, Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And because he's Lord, he's forgiven us our sins. And because he's Lord, we can forgive one another each other's sins toward each other. And their lives and their marriage and their family belong to the Lordship of Christ. Amen. 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 Kara, because you settled it. We settled it. Jesus is the Lord of your life. And that means every detail of your life. You stand before your God today. You stand before Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You stand in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you say, I'm not my own. I've been bought. And therefore, I belong to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what you're confessing in your baptism. You're identifying with Christ's death burial and resurrection and you're saying Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life praise his name <laughs> praise his name <laughs> praise his name thousands of prayers have been prayed for you over the last several years thank you church family for being a loving church family, for being a praying church family, for never giving up when people give up on themselves or saying, but God, but God can. We rejoice as you testify of his ownership in your life in baptism this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. When we were walking in this in from changing clothes, I said, Bobby, buddy, when did Jesus become Lord of your life? He said, Well, you know, that morning when Matt preached a couple of weeks ago, he said, I, I want to just nail it down. I said, Well, 
Buddy, I, I don't know when you're really saved or not because baptism comes after you're saved, but I know that salvation is Jesus' is Lord. And he said, I need to be baptized. So he's going to be baptized this morning. But he said, I don't want to steal the thunder. Normally I baptize the man first, but he said, Kara doesn't even know this. But he says, I, I want God and my church family and everyone to know this is the first day of the rest of my life. And, and I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. So, buddy, you're going to identify with Christ. You're saying you're a dead man. Because Christ, by the Holy Spirit, rules in your life. And identifying with Christ's death. Burial and resurrection. I baptize you in the name of God the Father. The Son. And the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 This is little sweet Brian and daddy John Hines, mama's Diane, big sister's Lindsay, little sister Savannah. And this little guy, he loves Jesus, but he was struggling with fearfulness to be baptized. And uh, we all struggle with fearfulness, don't we? We all struggle with what others think, but I praise the Lord that often through little children, they lead us as dads and moms to say, stomp on that fear. I'm not going to be a person of fearfulness. I'm going to be a person of faithfulness. And as some of you men out there, and you know I love you. Why do I cry? Because I love people. And I love for them to win not lose. And these are tears a day of gratitude to God that they're winning because we spent years losing. And uh, if you're walking by fearfulness today, look at this little boy and say, God, just raise your hands in your heart back to God and say, God, I want to be a winner. I'm sick and tired of losing in fearfulness. And Brian, I thank you for being a testimony to your church family today. Who do you belong to, sweetie? Jesus. Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. And this is for all your life. All your life, honey. Your middle school years, your teenage years, all your years. No matter what comes, you just remember this day you stood before heaven and your church family and said, Jesus is the Lord of my life. That's how he's the Savior. He's the Lord. And, Daddy, I affirm you. More is caught than is taught, so you walk it, baby. Yes. Don't you ever let me doubt. And little brother, 
here, my little sweet sons, your son, who you belong to. And I know you'll live that life, I affirm you. So you stand right here and together we'll baptize Brian. Brian, because sugar, you've given your life to Christ. You've trusted his death, his resurrection. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You identify today with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And it's with great joy that your daddy and I baptize you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We've only got 44 more. This is a new family in our church. If you haven't met them, you need to. Why, they're going to change the world. They're going to turn the world upside down. Just a week ago, Randy and his wife, Lynn, had uh, 12 or 13 of their friends, and on a Wednesday night, I took them through the scriptures. I mean, they're going after it. But see, Randy, he was saved back in when he was 13 years old, and uh, that's almost 40 years ago. But he was in a church that just sprinkled babies, because that's what they do in their tradition. And as they've come in this church, he loves the Lord with all of his heart, and, and uh, He's been in life development, and even before we went through that study, he just said, I see what God's Word says. You know, when my parents baptized me as a baby, they were doing the best they knew how. But the authority for my life is the Word of God. And scriptural baptism comes after salvation, not before. So he stands today, and he gives witness to the authority of the Word of God in his life and saying, I'm going to be scripturally baptized, professing God's ownership in my life. This little guy, he's got a great name. His name is Hunter Stegman. And on that day that Matt was preaching a few weeks ago, little Hunter found me. He was not sitting with his parents that day. He was sitting with, and he ran up and he said, Pastor Phil, I was saved today. And I said, you were? He said, yes. I said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I said, well, we'll find your parents and we'll get together. And we did that this week. And little Hunter understands he's not his own. He understands he's sinful and needed to repent. And I just asked God to forgive. But he surrendered his life to Christ. And to both of you, I love you. Thank you. And I just praise the Lord God's brought our lives together that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ together. And so, Hunter, you stand right here and you're going to watch your daddy first. Oh, stand up. You don't have to get down yet. <laughs> oh, one side I was able to lift Bob Bishop. I think I can lift twice your weight, okay? <laughs> you know, I've been working out. I, I nearly picked him up and threw him out a while ago. <laughs> so, uh, buddy, you'll be no problem. <laughs> Isn't the Lord good? He is. Isn't the Lord good? Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. 
Randy, you're such a model to our church family. Because there's men and women out there that need to be up here. But they let fear in what they think others will think. And you just hear the word and you just say, yes, sir, Lord. I just encourage you, church family, stop living, losing when you can be winning in Jesus. And Randy, because you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know in whom you have believed and entrusted yourself to Christ as the Lord of your life. Identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it's with great joy that I baptize you, my brother, in Jesus Christ. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I got you. I got you. This is, go ahead and take his hand, Daddy. This is Hunter Stegman. And Hunter has trusted Jesus Christ to be who Jesus is, the Lord of his life, the Savior of his life. Honey, you realize this is for life, right? You belong to Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. Yes, he is. Amen. Amen. And identifying with Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, honey. It's with great joy that your daddy and I baptize you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Let's just take each other by the hand and pray. Oh, Father, how we thank you. How we thank you. How we thank you. That there's nothing impossible for you. Oh, Father, break through in each of our hearts where we need it. Where we think something is impossible. Nothing is impossible with you, Lord. I just thank you for the way you love us, Lord. And you never give up on us, even when we give up on ourselves and others. And I just thank you for your powerful moving in each person's life. We praise you for each trophy of grace that we've been able to witness today through baptism. Thank you for the message you gave Phil, and I pray, Lord, we'd not run away from it. We'd live it out to your honor, your glory, and our good. Oh, Father, as we go today, we thank you we can go out and love a world that doesn't know Jesus and tell them about Jesus. We just praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love and greet each other as you go today. God bless you.